Streaming only on Peacock. John Wayne Gacy is suspected of having killed as many as 32. Straight from the killer's mouth. They want you to believe that I alone committed these murders. The new gripping six-part documentary series that investigates the crimes that shocked the nation. The thing everybody thought they knew wasn't the whole story. John Wayne Gacy, Devil in Disguise. All episodes streaming now. Devil in Disguise. Only on Peacock. The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Live from our nation's capital, it's Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Welcome to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. I'm a Democratic strategist, a columnist for The Hill in Washington, DC, and a political analyst for news radio stations KNX in Los Angeles and WGN in Chicago. My company, Bannon Communications Research, polls for uh, progressive issue groups, labor unions, and Democrats. If you want to learn more about my me, more about me and my political polling company, uh, you can, or you have any suggestions for Deadline DC, the best way to reach me is on Twitter at Brad Bannon. Today on Deadline DC. Will uh, we have a great show for you? Uh, first, in the first half hour, we'll discuss the Biden Build Back Better plan with Dr. Robert Shapiro. And then in the second half hour on the provocative progressive political panel, we'll discuss voter suppression in Georgia and voter enhancement in Congress with Edward Theogene of Generation Progress and uh, progressive activist Mark Grimaldi. But first, we have this clip from President Biden talking about his Build Back America plan. It's time to build our economy from the bottom up and from the middle out, not the top down. That hadn't worked very well. For the economy overall, it hadn't worked. Because Wall Street didn't build this country. You, great middle class, built this country. And unions built the middle class. And it's time, <clears throat> and this time, when we rebuild the middle class, we're going to bring everybody along. Regardless of your background, your color, your religion, no matter, everybody gets to come along. So today, I'm proposing a plan for the nation that rewards work, not just rewards wealth. It's not a plan that tinkers around the edges. It's a once-in-a-generation investment in America, unlike anything we've seen or done since we built the interstate highway system and the space race decades ago. In fact, it's the largest American jobs investment since World War II. It will create millions of jobs, good-paying jobs. It will grow the economy, make us more competitive around the world, promote our national security interests, and put us in a position to win the global competition with China in the upcoming years. 
It's big, yes. It's bold, yes. And we can get it done. We have to move now. Because I'm convinced that if we act now, in 50 years, people are going to look back and say, this was the moment that America won the future. What I'm proposing is a one-time capital investment of roughly $2 trillion in America's future, spread largely over eight years. Okay, that was uh, President Joe Biden talking about his Build Back America plan. Our first guest today is Dr. Robert Shapiro, who is chairman of Sonicon, an economic advisory firm and a senior fellow at the Theo McDonough School of Business at Georgetown University. He is an internationally known economist who has advised several prominent Democrats in economic policy. He was the Undersecretary of Commerce for Economic Affairs in the Clinton administration. Uh, Dr. Shapiro, welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. It's a pleasure to be here, Brad. Well, let's start with this. Uh, what is the current state of the economy? Is it getting better? Uh, is it stagnating? Uh, it doesn't seem to be getting worse. What is the current condition of the economy? Well, um, the further you look down the road, the better it looks, frankly. Right now, there's still a lot of uncertainty in the economy. We have brought down unemployment, but there's still around eight to nine million fewer people working than before the pandemic. Um, it really depends, continue, will continue to depend on the pandemic. That is the prospects over the next three, three months, say. Um, because if we get a resurgence, uh, the economy will slow again. Uh, and you know, we had we had gone through this enough times that you would think we had learned the lesson uh, to avoid this, but apparent. But it's not clear that we have. At the same time, when the the remarkable progress of the vaccination program uh, suggests that we will reach a kind of herd immunity. Um, from vaccinations rather than from infections, uh, probably sometime this summer. And certainly those who are vaccinated can return to normal activity. Um, and there is so much pent up demand. Um, purchases that people have deferred over the last year, they haven't taken vacations, they haven't bought appliances, they haven't bought automobiles because there was so much uncertainty. Um, instead, what they did was and it was increase their savings, and it was it's a very important economic marker because it's called precautionary savings. When savings go up like they have uh, under these conditions, it's because people are afraid things are going to get worse. Um, the saving rate in 2020 was 16%. That's the highest rate since 1945. That's why we needed these enormous rescue plans. Because, and why we had to give checks to everybody 
even if your wages and salaries had not been affected by the pandemic, because we needed to overcome all that savings, all that saving behavior it was pure Keynesianism. And there's every reason to believe it will work. And that is when people no longer are afraid that things are going to get worse, but rather that they're getting better, um, they will start spending. And at an, I think, an enormous rate. Um, and I think that, you know, the growth rate this year uh, will top, will be somewhere between five and six percent. And I think the growth rate next year will be higher. Um, I think we're going to see the kinds of growth that we saw in 1983 and 1984 when Reagan was able to run commercials morning in America. Uh, so I, I'm very optimistic about the economy, the course of the economy um, from summer onwards. The next couple months, I'm less, I'm less confident about. Okay, well, let me... Uh... Uh, last uh, last week, uh, we uh, had a new jobs report, and I believe there were almost a million new jobs added to the economy. It was 900,000 and something, I believe. Right. And I heard one critic of one Republican say, basically, uh, that's a sign as the economy is coming back. And also said that's a sign we really don't need any more uh, new massive federal government spending because the economy's on the road back and it's just pointless to uh, spend all this money uh, to uh, juice start a process, economic process that's already started. What do you have to say to that? Well, the economy is on its way back because we spent all that money. That's the only reason the economy is back. Um, and, um, you know, we had about a third of the country who suffered very serious income losses and the rest of the and the rest of the country was saving. Without all that money, this economy would have spiraled down, would have continued to spiral down in the third and fourth quarters of last year and in the first quarter of this year. We'd be in a depression today. Uh, instead, we're on the edge of a boom. And the reason we are is precisely because we spent all that money. Uh, now, this is the economic effects are different for the COVID uh, uh, rescue plans, the CARES Act, the December appropriation, and then okay. the American Rescue Plan. Okay, uh, Dr. Shapiro, we're going to go to break now, but when we get back from break, we'll have more of Dr. Robert Shapiro, uh, chairman of Sonicon, a noted economist who served in the Clinton administration uh, to discuss the Build Back America plan uh, and the coming economic boom, hopefully. Welcome back to Deadline. If you're listening, but you want to watch the show without the breaks, you can see us on Periscope TV at www.periscope.tv front slash Brad Bannon. 
You can also tune in to see us at Facebook Live at www.tinyurl.com front slash BB Facebook Live. And then we finally, you can view us on YouTube at www.tinyurl.com Brad on YouTube. Our guest in this half hour is the noted economist, Dr. Robert Shapiro, who's here to join us about uh, join us to discuss the Biden Build Back Better plan. Uh, Rob, uh, first of all, why don't you tell our listeners something about what is actually uh, in the Biden Build Back Better plan? Uh, and I believe it comes in two parts, too. Could you explain that, please? Yes. Well, there is um, a both traditional and new forms of infrastructure, which We've been Congress and the and the Democratic Party and the Republican Party have been talking about now for a decade and done virtually nothing, nothing about. And that's roads and bridges and um, highways and airports and ports. It's also water, you know, wastewater treatment plants and modernizing the electric grid. Um, it is all of the, the public services on which daily life and um, uh, the economy depend because they use them. We are all using, using these facilities every day. Um, also, broadband, uh, universal broadband is part of that as well. So that's, that's the infrastructure part of it. What the administration has decided to do is to use this infrastructure bill as a platform for what you might call social infrastructure rather than physical infrastructure. And that would include education and child care, some marginal health care initiatives as well. That's a political judgment. You know, um, I've been asked, do I think it should be bigger? And my argument, my response is always, well, certainly the needs um, are at least equal to $3 trillion. If you're looking across all of those areas, it's actually across all those areas, it's considerably larger, where it doesn't do anything for the 10% of Americans who still don't have health insurance. In education, it doesn't do anything about tuitions for four-year institutions, only two-year institutions. So the needs are greater. Whether or not it should all be packaged in one bill is a political decision. Uh, and, you know, I think there's a real argument for and against it myself, politically. Um, it makes it a much easier target. It means you have to raise taxes more. Um, and, uh, you know, I my own view is that if we get a boom next year, Joe Biden can do whatever he wants. He could have come, he could come back and do education and health care, for example, if he were going to really take on infrastructure in this bill. Um, as a political strategy, to me, that makes more sense. But I'm an economist, <laughs> and um, 
economically, all of these, every part of that bill has um, sufficient justification economically. These are the kinds of investments that that don't kind of jumpstart the economy, though they do create jobs. What they're really about is making everything in the economy a little more efficient and therefore raising the underlying uh, productivity growth rate and overall GDP growth rate of the economy, trying to bring us back to an average of three to three and a half percent growth instead of two to two and a half percent that we've been in um, ever since President Clinton's term ended. President Clinton's was the last term to have three to three and a half percent average annual growth. Uh, and we've never and we have not seen it since. Well, let's talk about the uh, financing uh, for the uh, Build Back Better plan. Now, it's my understanding that at least part of the uh, cost of the plan would be paid for by revoking uh, the Trump tax cuts, uh, increasing, uh, they, during the Trump administration, they significantly dropped the uh, corporate uh, profits rate, uh, all sorts of uh, uh, wealthy Americans got tax breaks. How would this be financed exactly, the Build Back Better plan? Well, we don't have all the details, but it appears that they're going to take away half of the corporate tax break. Corporate rate went from 35% to 21%. Um, and they're talking about raising it to 28%. Um, my guess is they may not get 28%. Uh, my guess is it'll be closer to 25% because Joe Manchin has already announced that he'll, he will only support 25%. Um, so I think we're looking at 25%, which means you need to find others. Either you need to cut back the scope of, of the plan right now in this bill and focus just on infrastructure, or you're going to have to find serious additional revenues. Um, now, you certainly could get that out of, you know, Janet Yellen, the, the brilliant Treasury Secretary, um, and happily an old friend of mine, um, has, uh, has said that we need to get a lot more revenues through a minimum tax on the foreign earnings of U.S. companies. And I think that that's a fine idea, particularly since these earnings often escape all tax by moving them from country to country towards tax havens. And a lot of companies, there's been a lot of talk about it in the last few days. A lot of companies like I think Amazon and Nike don't pay any federal taxes at all. Right. Absolutely. I have to say, I think that um, even though <laughs> politically it won't work, but economically, the right way to fund infrastructure is in part through what's called user fees. The people who use the infrastructure pay for the infrastructure. 
we, we always used to do this with roads and highways, and it was through the gas tax. Um, so you paid for the roads and highways by through a tax on gas, which was used to use the roads. Rob, and sadly, I'm going to have to interrupt you because we're running out of time. Uh, thank you very much. Our guest in this half hour is Dr. Robert Shapiro, a prominent economist who joined us today, uh, as he has several times in the future, to discuss the Biden Build Back America. Welcome back, Deadline to Receive Brad I'm Brad Mantle. We're going to start the half hour uh, with a clip from Joe Biden talking about the new Georgia voter suppression law, because that's what we're going to be talking, one of the things we'll be talking about in this half hour. What I'm worried about is how un-American this whole initiative is. It's sick. It's sick deciding in some states that you cannot bring water to people standing in line waiting to vote, deciding that you're going to end voting at 5 o'clock when working people are just getting off work, deciding that there will be no absentee ballots under the most rigid circumstances. It's all designed, and I'm going to spend my time doing three things. One, trying to figure out how to pass the legislation passed by the House, number one. Number two, educating the American public. The Republican voters I know find this despicable. Republican voters, the folks out in the outside this White House. I'm not talking about the, the elected officials. I'm talking about voters, voters. And so I'm convinced that we'll be able to stop this because it is the most pernicious thing. This makes Jim Crow look like Jim Eagle. I mean, this is gigantic what they're trying to do. And it cannot be sustained. And do everything on my power, along with my friends in the House and the Senate, to keep that from, uh, from becoming the law. Is there anything else you can do about it besides passing legislation? The answer is yes, but I'm not going to lay out a strategy in front of the whole world and you now. Voter turnout hit record levels last year, which should have made everybody who is part of our great Democratic, and I mean small d Democratic experiment, happy. Not only was voter turnout high, but there was little voter fraud. In his failed bid to overturn his defeat, Donald Trump's campaign was unable to prevent, present any evidence to dozens of courts that there was enough voter fraud to overturn the results. So all is good, right? What more can you ask for in a democracy when turnout is so high and voter fraud is so low? Instead, the right to vote is under serious attack across the country. A study by the Brennan Center for Justice indicated legislators in 43 states have filed 253 bills to restrict, restrict voting rights. Ground zero in the fight to suppress the vote is the state of Georgia. Citing non-existent concerns about voter integrity, Republican Governor Brian Kemp signed a bill into law last week that makes early voting and absentee voting more difficult. 
the measure even makes it a crime to offer water or food to people waiting in long voting lines. Voter suppression is a vivid sign of democracy in deep decline. Voter enhancement is an indicator of democracy in the full bloom of spring. You can read this column and all my columns in the Hill at muckrack, that's M-E-C-K-R-A-C-K, muckrack.com, front slash Brad dash Bannon. Now it's time for the provocative progressive political panel. Our guest on the panel today is Edwith Theogene. She is director of advocacy for Generation Progress, the youth engagement arm of American Progress. In this role, Theogene works to develop and lead efforts to translate the experiences of young adults into concrete actions that advance progressive policies and increase voter turnout. Her Twitter handle is who is Edwith? That's W-H-O. I-S-E-D-W-I-T-H. Joining Edwith on the panel is progressive political activist Mark Grimaldi. Mark has worked for several Democratic presidential candidates, including Joe Biden. Mark is also active in campaign finance reform and efforts to promote cancer research. His Twitter handle is at Mark J. Grimaldi, G-R-I-M-A-L-D-I. Okay, uh, we have this uh, paradoxical situation going on uh, in Georgia and some other states. Uh, state officials are trying to suppress the vote. And in Washington, D.C., the Democratic Congress is trying to enhance the vote. Uh, now, let's first uh, talk about the uh, severe uh, Georgia law uh, whose aim, in my opinion, is just a naked political power grab uh, to decrease uh, voting, uh, especially by minority voters. Uh, Edwith, do you want to address the uh, new law in Georgia? Um, yeah, sure. I think it's a ridiculous law. Like We just saw like this past year, we voted in record numbers. There was very limited voter fraud that was even reported, and it was a success. Like We saw our democracy really taking shape by expanding access to voting. And it's really disappointing that since then we've had, I think Brennan Center released new numbers. Um, it's 361 voter suppression bills that have been introduced across this country. So Georgia is no different than a lot of other states. I know Arizona has also had their own battle. One thing I'd like to note to you about uh, what's happened in Georgia is that across all party lines, people have spoken out against uh, the voter suppression bill and omnibus bill. And also, um, I think what was really sad and disappointing is that uh, Governor Kemp basically signed the bill in front of a painting of a plantation um, yeah. that had 100 people enslaved. So yeah, talk it's just about image. Correct. The symbolism there is just like so stark. And then you have Congresswoman uh, Representative Park Cannon, who knocked on the door and was arrested just for, you know, knocking on the door of the governor which really, I think, adds a little bit more imagery, right, of a black woman who is standing up for voting rights and doing her job and doing her due diligence to, to see what is going on with our democracy and what is happening to the people of Georgia and for her to be arrested. And you see this picture of all these white men just like signing, you know, this bill into law. So it is, it is 
layered upon layers of, of things, but very, very plain and simple that this is an attack on voting rights and this is an attack on the BIPOC community voters. Yeah, you know, the, you're right. The symbolism couldn't be worse. Here you have this group of white men signing this law into effect uh, that will make it a lot harder for black African-American voters and Hispanic American voters to vote in front of a picture of a plantation. And then on the other side of the door, you have a uh, African-American, uh, I don't know, is she a state rep or a state She's senator? a state rep state rep uh, being arrested uh, by two burly white state policemen. And, you know, the symbolism going back to the 60s is just scary. And I sometimes I wonder uh, what people are thinking. Uh, Or usually when I ask that question, by the way, what were people thinking? The short answer is they weren't. Um, Mark, you want to weigh in on Georgia? Yeah. I think you both make really solid points. And I mean, I'm, I'm red hot pissed off is the best way to put it. Um, this, because of everything you just laid out, um, it, it's bad enough. And that representative, by the way, because of doing that faces, I believe, uh, two felony counts, which could result in eight years in prison. Uh, they just announced, which is absolutely insane for knocking on the door of what you, the scene you just described to find out what's going on um, so that it's not done, you know, in, in secret, basically. And when you look at the provisions of the bill, there's many uh, parts about it that are bad. And, and one part that did get rightfully so a lot of attention is the preventing of the handing out of food or water to voters who wait hours in line to vote, which is artificially created by conditions by Republican uh, legislators. They take away polling places in these uh, large minority population areas, and that makes lines longer. So the reason that you have to even hand out food and water is because people have to sit there so long that they're missing meals. So let's talk about why that even happens. And then second of all, the worst provision, uh, in my opinion, of this bill is it gives state-level officials in Georgia the authority to usurp the powers of the county election boards, which in effect is going to allow the Republican-dominated state government in Georgia to potentially disqualify voters in Democratic-leaning areas. So if you think about what the claims were from Republicans, even though there was no proof of voter fraud, they were pressuring the governor and then uh, the, the head of elections in Georgia. Trump famously made that call to Brad Raffensperger trying to get him to cancel out votes. Well, now it would give the authority to the state legislators who were trying to do that. So now they could just do it themselves. So um, I think the way that President Biden Brad and Edwith all described it is accurate um, for those reasons. Okay, we're going to go to uh, break now. Uh, but when we get back from break, we'll have more of the provocative progressive political panel with Edwith Theogene and Mark Grimaldi. Stay tuned because we've got a lot more coming.
Okay, welcome back to Deadline DC. Brad Bannon. I'm Brad Bannon, and we are talking with our provocative progressive political panel. Uh, joining us on the panel today is Edwith Theogene, who is the advocacy director at Generation Progress, uh, which is a part of the Center for American Proce- Progress. And we also have our good friend Mark Romaldi, who is a progressive activist. We have an email action tool where folks can just put in their information and send an email to their senator or send an email to uh, their representative and just show encouragement um, to support this bill, H.R. 1, and also show their support for H.R. 4. So I think those are two very, like, really great bills that people can literally take action on um, that members of Congress can respond to as well. Okay, Uh, we're going to go to uh, break so we can bring back our uh, radio listeners. Uh, We'll have more of uh, Deadline DC with Brad Bannon and the provocative progressive political panel um, after this break. Uh, We are going to uh, discuss the uh, I have a sort of a general question of the panel that I want to ask the panel. And my question will be, and this is what I want to discuss, it seems to me in the last few weeks things have been pretty ugly in the United States. Uh, We've had another attack on the Capitol. Uh, We've had at least several uh, mass shootings uh, in Georgia and Texas. They're trying to uh, block the right of uh, um, African-Americans and Latino-Americans vote. And my question for the panel is going to be, what can Joe Biden, if anything, do to unite a nation uh, that's torn by violence and divided by race? Uh, I don't know if Joe Biden or anything else can do it. I'm kind of in a pessimistic mood. Uh, But we'll talk more about it when we get back from uh, these messages. Uh, Let's go back to the question I raised before we went to break. And, you know, it just seems to me... You know, I'm really hopeful that now that Donald Trump is gone and Joe Biden is president, we can put some semblance of unity back in our nation. But, you know, sometimes I wonder, uh, you have Republican state legislators trying to suppress the minority vote. They have all sorts of justifications about why they are clamping down on voting, but it's nothing more than a naked power grab. And really, they don't want, you know, we've played a clip Jim Hightower was talking about where they want, you know, some guy in Texas talking, we want not only lots of voters, but we want quality voters. And if that isn't a euphemism, I for racism, I don't know what is. Uh, We've got mass shootings. Uh, We've got another uh, attack on the U.S. Capitol. Uh, We have Asian Americans being assaulted on the streets simply because they're Asian Americans. Uh, And my question to the panel, and I'll start with you, Edwith, is what can Joe Biden, or is there anything he can do to bring this country in, you know, back you know, to some semblance of unity. Sometimes I just despair, and I have been in the last week or so. Um, I guess I join you in your despair. <laughs> I'm not sure what there's... The thing that comes to mind is that the country that elected Trump still exists, 
and it existed before Trump became president. So it's not a new thing to see this disconnect between our country and like the people within our communities and this violence. So I feel like with the pandemic and with the 2016 presidential election, it just exacerbated already existing problems and made more people aware and invested in what's happening. But in terms of the response, like I see uh, Biden, he released the jobs package, which you all spent some time talking about earlier. He's also taken a stance against discrimination and white supremacy, which has been really great. He's also um, taken a stance against a lot of the hate crimes that have happened to the Asian community, the API community. So I see him doing what he can, and there's only so much. And I just feel like white supremacy is an evil in this country that has fueled so much of the bad things that we have seen happen. And it's not fair and good just to have Biden respond to that. I feel like all of us should be invested in trying to fix this country and figuring out ways that we can contribute to try to find answers. I mean, there's a reason why For the People Act has not passed the Senate yet, right? Like there's a reason why um, we're still stalled in like certain good policies. So I think outside of looking at Biden and the administration, we should also be looking to our courts. We should also be looking to our legislative process. We should also be looking to our within our communities, whether it's our churches, our schools, our neighbors, our families. Um, if we really are invested in putting this country back together, it's going to require everyone's investment at every level. And, you know, even as simple as just like educating ourselves and reading a book like Google, you know, I mean, yeah. those are my thoughts. Yeah. You know, I just saw a poll, I think, that came out over the weekend. I think it was by Reuters uh, that showed that uh, half of the Republicans uh, still think, encouraged by their former president, uh, still think that uh, Joe Biden uh, won because of the voter fraud. Uh, and, uh, you know, that presents a great obstacle to Joe Biden. Uh, Mark, uh, what, if anything, do you think Joe Biden can do to uh, reunite or unite the, the uh, country, which hasn't been united in a while? I think he can continue doing, frankly, exactly what he's doing. I've been really impressed with um, how he's governed so far. Uh, he has tried to bring in the Republican elected officials like he did for the American Rescue Plan, but he has also showed that if they are not acting in good faith and they're not going to come along and try to fix things, then he's going to do what he can within his power to do so. So we see that through action. And I also think the rhetoric um, that was used by the former President Trump versus the way that um, President Biden is speaking to the American people does send a different signal. And I think we need to remind ourselves that there was four years of utter chaos and tearing this country apart by Donald Trump, that it's going to take, you know, maybe a whole four years to get back to where we even were. Hopefully not. But I think it's a distinct possibility when you just outlined, Brad, you have half of the Republican voters in this country refusing to agree with reality um, and you're going to have to try to break through to them, you know, in whatever way you can, while also not getting bogged down with them too much and, you know, failing to advance and, and have progress on the most important issues that the American people who voted for you want to see done. I, I do think this For the People Act is an absolutely unique opportunity to fix so many problems within our democracy. It's the biggest reform opportunity 
that we've had since um, after Richard Nixon um, and Watergate. So I think right now the legislation is stuck because of Joe Manchin. So if people want to have action and call him and pressure him um, to support uh, having this voted on, you can call his office. Um, it's 202-224-3954. It's 202-224-3954. Uh, it makes a difference when elected officials hear from their constituents. So if you are in West Virginia especially, make sure you call his office. Um, beyond that, I think Edwith brings up a good point, which is um, we, on a, at our local level, can make a difference, um, whether it's by talking to our own local elected officials or running for office. Um, you're seeing the power of state officials, like you just outlined in, in a negative aspect uh, through Georgia, um, Texas, and also in, in Arizona, um, where they're trying to restrict voter access. So there's an opportunities for people who care to get involved. And um, just like we saw in record-breaking numbers with the 2018 midterms, believe it or not, the 2022 midterms are right around the corner. So um, whether you want to run for office yourself or support people who you think are good candidates, elections have consequences, not just on the federal level for the presidential election, but also on the local level, like we're seeing in these states we just mentioned. People who are unhappy with those representatives, don't just vote to get them out of office, but support people who are running in primaries who have you know, the best chance to do so and who are aligned with your values. That's what we can do now to help President Biden as well. Okay, well, sadly, we'll have to end it on that note because we're running out of time. I should also point out that uh, yesterday, um, our former idiot president um, sent out an Easter greeting, uh, which underscored, I think, the mood of the Republican Party. And President Trump's, ex-former President Trump's Easter greeting was, Happy Easter, even to the radical liberals who stole the election from me. Uh, that's a cheery Easter greeting, <laughs> isn't it? Uh, but that's where we are now. I want to thank today's uh, provocative progressive political panel, our guests were Edwith Theogene, who is the Advocacy Director at Generation Progress, and uh, progressive activist Mark Romaldi. Uh, stay strong and stay safe in these troubled times. I'll be back next Monday and every Monday at 3 p.m. Eastern Live for more Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Thank you. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Uh, you've been on the road for hours, covered 527 miles, listened to three podcasts, yeah. had two calls with your mom and one with your sister, and you're really hungry. And look at that. There's a McDonald's one mile up ahead meal. There's a meal for every moment at McDonald's. Cruise up to McDonald's and get your favorite items on the one, two, three dollar menu. Like a McChicken, McDouble, or four piece McNuggets. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Whatever you're funny, Peacock's got it exclusively. Bears beats The Office on Peacock. Stream every moment from Dunder Mifflin and explore bonus extras and exclusives. Plus, if you're looking for more classic hits, you can stream every episode of Parks and Recreation, Two and a Half Men, and every season of SNL. In the mood for something brand new? Check out Peacock's original comedies, The Amber Ruffin Show, and Saved by the Bell. Whether you're craving a new binge or familiar fave, you can find tons of comedy hits on Peacock. Get started for free at PeacockTV.com.